0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music, and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie.
1: I'm Nora Germain.
0: I'm a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter.
1: I'm a violinist turned Scott co-host.
0: <laughs> Smooth. And apparently, we are now both podcasters, and you're going to hear us chat to many different people. But more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottkelly.com, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, anywhere you get them podcasts. So please. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell the ex-girlfriend when you call her up, before you tell her she's a cow, tell her to check out the podcast. But for now, enjoy the show. We've got Jimmy Chamberlain coming up on the podcast, the legendary, legendary, legendary Smashing Pumpkins drummer. Very, very excited. But for now, I'm with my prodigal son. The person that I have been the guiding light for. I have been your mentor. I have been your sensei. I have been your guiding light, allowing you to prosper in the darkest of hours. Nora, Francesca, Germaine, how are you?
1: I am feeling great. How are you?
0: You know me, Nora?
1: Can't complain, never ever Can't do. Can't
0: complain, never ever. Do it. And I'm glad that we've got Jimmy Chamberlain on. How excited are you excited that you hear what Jimmy's got to say?
1: I'm really excited. I think it's gonna be a great uh episode, and I can't wait to hear it.
0: It's really, really good because I'm so glad we've got somebody from the rock world on the podcast. Because last week we had Steven Swartz on, who's a nice guy, but I'll be honest, I can't stand musical theatre. I've never liked it, it's full of idiots. Scott! And it's not uh-huh.
1: I would just like you to recall last week when you were saying that you were a changed man. What? Okay, first you say you don't like musical theater. Where did then I you... say that? All the weeks before before you had Steven on, and then you've got the guy who writes Wicked. Then you're like, oh, I'm a changed man. That was Yester Cowie. You remember the whole Yester Cowie incident? And then now you're saying a week later that you're not into it anymore. I just don't. I don't feel like your opinion about this is very consistent. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, what? Uh, what's uh, going on here?
0: Uh, have you ever heard of an expression in a term called selective memory?
1: Um, if I have, I think that you have that, number one.
0: Well, excuse me, Miss Accusatory, but I think you'll find that you're the one with selective memory if my memory serves me correct, and I think you'll find that it does. Because I've never once said that I like musical theatre. It's the biggest pile of fucking horse shit that I've ever came across in my life. And I've made an extra effort on the 90th episode. The 90th episode, 9-0. That means we're only 210 episodes away from our 200th episode, right? But taking that into account, right? Musical theatre, pile of pish, Okay. And now we've got somebody from the R.A.W.K. world on. The rock world, baby. What do you think of that? So you can take your Bugsy Malone. You can take your We Will Rock You. You can take your Lord of the Rings and you know what you can do with it, right? Because at the end of the day, rock rules and musical theater is, you know, a bunch of jazz hand American accent freaks.
1: I don't appreciate the jazz hand American accent freak thing because I happen to be an American jazz musician, but... Maybe if you could take your derogatory tone somewhere else, okay, that would be good because, you know, I think in your heart of hearts, you really do love musical theatre and you love jazz hands and you love rock too. I think there's room in your soul for all of it. Thank you. Good night.
0: Have you ever heard of an expression called there ain't no room in my soul for jazz hands?
1: Um yes
0: no you haven't heard that expression the only time you've heard it is me because i just made it up on the spot do you want to know why because i'm creative i'm a creative force do you want to know why because i'm from the rock world i'm not from the world that you're from where you get handed the script and get told nora just twang it up a little bit sing an american accent, do a little bit of jazz hands and you'll get a part
1: i will have you know
0: have me know what hit me
1: that is not the to way. Say.
0: That's not the way, we're not
1: being very respectful to your co-host right now, Scott.
0: Well, you know there's an old saying, don't you? It's called get the fucking violin out.
1: <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> no, I can't wait. I can't wait to play something non-creative for you. Why don't you just tell me what you would like me to play? Okay, and then, you know, I'll just read it, you know, and then, you know, it'll be it'll be very non-creative for you since that's apparently what we're going for here.
0: I would like you to entertain us all by playing something jazzy and the key of A that's jazzy. It's got to be jazzy. It's got to be in the key of A.
1: Very non creative here. Very non sure,
0: non-creative. Make sure and do me a favor as well. See if you can play the violin by doing a little bit of jazz hands and just trying to look I want a, a a kind of mixture of Bugsy Malone and Lord of the Rings coupled with um what's the what what's the one with the, the two gangs from New York they fight they they go to fight each other and they dance to each other. West side story. Make it a little ah, bit like yes. West Side story with a combination of uh, you know, uh, wicked and all that. The one, you know, the the just think green face witch thing.
1: You want all of that while I'm playing the violin?
0: Yeah, no, just just I want that to be in your mind. I want you to think about what is the violin, why is the violin, how is the violin. I want you to think about that when you're playing as a nice jazzy improvised thing in the key of A. A. Yeah. <sighs> Hit me, and you better make it good.
1: Okay. This she's is good, called... She's good, by the way.
0: She's good. She's good. You want to hear this, girl? She's good. I'm so proud of her. One of the best violin players in the world, ladies and gentlemen. I ain't exaggerating. If you think I'm exaggerating, you're a fool. Wait to hear this. Honestly. She's unbelievable. One of the best in the world. I think the best in the world. And uh, putting my extreme bias aside, the best in the world. She says this herself. This is
1: the green-faced lord of the Scots. <laughs>
0: Like it, like it, like it. If I wrote a musical, it would be the best, and it would be called that. Yes, it would
1: be. Okay.
0: Hit me, hit me. Here we
1: go. Jazz hands.
0: Okay. She's doing the jazz hands. You wouldn't believe it. I know it's just audio, but she Trust me, she's doing the jazz hands. Best in the world.
1: Okay, here we go. Hit me.
2: (laughs)
0: unbelievable and the good thing is it didn't sound anything like musical theater because we all know that's the biggest pile of pish not a man
1: but it was an a you said you
0: wanted an a i wanted a i wanted it sounding jazzy and i wanted it sounding great and that's exactly what it was that being said you're gonna hear some outtakes from this podcast in a little bit we're gonna give you some outtakes why the hell not but for now jimmy chamberlain from the smashing pumpkins Okay, I am back with the one and only Jimmy Chamberlain, who I've wanted to talk to for a long, long time now. Now, Jimmy, straight off the bat, okay, that drum kit that you've got set up, I've always wanted to ask you this, the big floor tom on the left-hand side, what's going on there? Why the big floor tom?
2: Yeah, so that that basically started off, that configuration um, really started off as just an easier way to play high on one, because before that, I was having to play uh, paradiddle on my 16-inch floor tom, and then move my left hand back to the snare drum. So the only way that pattern would work uh, on the, in that configuration was as a paradiddle. And then I thought, well, shit, I'm just gonna move this. I'm gonna put a 14 over here and then my kit will be like a four piece kit. And then these other two toms will be more kind of supplemental toms. So I look at it like um, snare 14, 16, 18, almost like a bottom type kit. And then with two smaller toms in the middle. Um, so that's, and then, you know, it just, it just kind of stuck. And then I noticed there was new melodic uh, opportunities uh, with that configuration, and people kept asking me about it. So I figured if people are asking me about it and it's that weird, because it really wasn't that weird to me, that I would just hang on to it.
0: Well, what's interesting about that kit setup, I've always thought, um, is that when you are, if you weren't a set of the kit, and we would just view that kit, we would know it's your drum kit.
2: Yeah, well, you know, that's, Hopefully they know it's me when they hear me play it too, but not just when they see it.
0: (laughs) Right, a couple of more, uh, if you don't mind, a couple of more geeky drum questions and we'll move on, okay? Yeah, sure. Now, um, that skip thing that you do when you're playing a beat and you've got the hi-hat and the kind of the left hand, that's really, really cool, the kind of skip thing. Where did you get that from?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that stuff uh, was done, well... Yeah, Cozy Powell did a bit of that stuff when he played with Jeff Beck. Um, Then um, uh, Richard, um, uh, who is the guy who played with uh, Get out of here. Sorry, my I got a new puppy here. He's trying to trying to get in on the podcast. Get out of here. Go lay down. Richard Bailey, the guy who played with Jeff Beck on the Blow by Blow records, uh, does a lot of that scooping stuff. And then Billy Cobham, obviously, um, does a lot of that stuff. So. And then Phil Collins, I was a huge Phil Collins fan. Brand X, he does a lot of that stuff. So, I mean, I just, you know, I guess I'm just really a busybody. So I'm always looking for stuff to do with things that aren't doing anything. So that's kind of the part the left foot on the hi hat all the time. And then, you know, it just, at one point um, when I was a young drummer, I had broken my right wrist. Um, so I was, I had a whole summer where I was in the middle of this intense practicing uh, regimen and I didn't have a right hand. So I ended up just continuing to practice without the benefit of my right hand. So that's when I got really, you know, ambidextrous. I moved all my crash cymbals over to my left side. Um, I started figuring out how to start uh, things with my left hand, end up on the left hand. Um, so I think that's where a lot of that kind of left-weighted uh, playing came from. Plus, I was always attracted to guys that were doing things differently or adding components uh, percussive components other than the kind of 2-4 just ride cymbal bass drum snare drum stuff
0: got you got you right okay now take us right back jimmy okay the very first time you see the pumpkins uh now tell us if this is the truth or not obviously a lot of rumors fly about the internet the the first time you seen them play they were playing along with the drum machine is that right
2: yeah that's correct so the first time i saw them and it wasn't the first time i had heard them because i had gotten I'd gotten a demo tape uh, from from a friend of Billy and I's uh, before that. So I'd heard, I'd heard the songs, um, and then when I went to see them, um, they were playing just James Darcy and Billy with the drum machine. And the idea was to bring me in, uh, well, from both my side of the fence and from the Pumpkin side, was to bring me in so we could play this kind of iconic venue in Chicago called the Cabaret Metro, uh, which I wanted to play at and the band wanted to play at. So... They brought me in, because uh, the owner of the club, Joe Shanahan, who's one of my best friends, uh, would not uh, allow bands to play on that stage without a drummer. So <laughs> uh, he was a bit of a, a purist you know, when it came to that stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, some bands did do that, but the Pumpkins, I think Joe really liked the Pumpkins, but was really trying to guide them into a heavier sound.
0: So what did you think when you first seen them, their first impressions?
2: Yeah, you know, I thought they were okay. I mean, it really wasn't my cup of tea. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't into the stuff they were playing, so I wasn't an REM fan. I was, and the, the music that they were playing before I joined was very kind of like jangly rock stuff, very 2-4. And really, I mean, I was thinking, okay, I can do this stuff in my sleep, but it's not something that I'm into. And I certainly can't you know, the way I play isn't really going to be additive to what, I mean, I was listening to like Tony Williams and stuff like that and, you know, Weather Report. So I wasn't going to come in and just start blowing chops all over this guy's song, um, you know, but I was certainly interested more in that type of stuff. So, you know, the, 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 the first impressions of the band were like, OK, I can play this stuff and it's cool and I get to play the Metro and then I'll probably just be on my way. Um, but then once Billy and I started talking and started to work on some of the music that he was wanting to write, uh, that was a little bit heavier, um, then obviously it started to unve- to reveal itself as something bigger. Um, and we started to talk about, you know, heavier drums and more demonstrative stuff, stuff that was built around the drums. You know, because he would, once he heard me play, he was just like, oh, okay, well, let's try this beat and let's try this. And then we just started kind of rocking out from that point.
0: So from the early days, did you ever ever perceive that it was going to end up being the phenomenon that it, that it was? Did you ever see that coming? was there, did you instinctively think this is really going to go on to achieve something as, as big as it? Of, of course it did.
2: <laughs> oh man, no, I, you know you know I think, I think I, I hear this question a lot, but I think when you once you commit to something and you're so inside of it. It's really hard to be objective. I mean, obviously things were happening, but they happen at such a slow pace. Of, uh, of, uh, at such a slow pace, it's hard to really quantify kind of what's going on in your own life, right? And you can, like, now I can look back and go, "Ah, oh, holy fuck! Like that was a crazy time." Or, "Geez, I should have seen you know this coming." Or, you know, but it, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to be objective or or to have any type of perspective. You know, you're just kind of in it. And you're back then. I was just thinking like. I mean, my problems were like I got a cracked crash cymbal, and I got to get some drum heads, right? I mean, I wasn't thinking like I wasn't thinking like, man, we're going places. I was thinking like, my drums sound like shit. I got to get to the drum store, you know. I mean, it was more kind of you know compartmentalized in the moment. As opposed to, like, we've got some grand plan for world domination, and these are the components that are going to get us there, and, you know, this IM1 is going to launch a thousand ships, and then we're going to do this crazy video, and then people are going to throw money. I mean, you know, you're never thinking like that. It's like, why do you start playing drums in the first place, right? Yeah, I mean, if I would have told my dad, like, okay, I'm going to play the drums because I want to make a lot of money. My dad would have been like, you're out of your mind. You're going to make any money playing the drums. In fact, you should go to the hospital right now and have your head examined. Um, so you never really start off playing, you know, because you want to make money. I mean, yeah, yeah we were kind of weird-looking dudes, and, and so one weird-looking girl, we wanted to meet the opposite sex. That was good enough. I mean, you know, and get a little bit of scratch on the side, some pay. I mean, and you know, once things like Siamese Dream, once even Siamese Dream, though, it still seemed like, you know, music outside of music is always kind of a bullshit play. Right. So so you're in the studio and you're making great music, but you never really believe in the peripheral business that's going on outside of it. Right. Because you're taught as a musician to be very guarded, very insular very like, hey, I'm not going to let anybody into in my art because they're going to piss all over it, right? But, you know, and then as it starts, and then even now, like, even after, you know, how many years Billy and I have been working together, we have 27 years or so, we're still like, we don't trust those people, right? We still just, like, we just had lunch the other day, and we were talking about, you know, oh, what are we going to do? And I said, hey, you should just come to my house and we'll play some music, right? What a novel concept. Um, that's You know, that's that's kind of where it all comes back to me, but I guess you know, Siamese dream that era. Where once I started, once I didn't have to borrow money to eat or or live in my car, or I could pay rent. You know, you start to you just still don't believe it, but at least you're getting by. And then you know later when the checks are rolling in, you still like you're still thinking like, ah, oh, how how long can I ride this fantasy wagon? You know, uh, until I gotta like like my dad said, get a real job. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly yeah music and real jobs don't go hand in hand so the other day did June and billy get to jam at all
2: not yet no we're still it takes a long time with us man we're, we're getting older so it's like you know it's uh even getting lunch on the books takes you know a couple weeks but yeah we'll, we'll get together and do some playing um you know soon here uh probably after the new year um but we, you know we did the tour over the summer we had a lot of fun it was super easy low stress i think yeah, the one thing we've always known, and this, like, in spite of the business or, like, he said, she said, any of that stuff, like, when we get together, we make great music. It's at least we think it's great. So that's, like, what's important to us. We have a good time doing it. We're both interested in the same types of components that make music, like, how do we create things that sound simplistic that are very complex on the inside? You know, how do we write things that sound like nursery rhymes from 30,000 feet, but once you start to pull the layers away are extremely complicated and extremely interconnected. Um, So I think, you know, those things are always going to be interesting to me and him. I think, you know, the the stuff he does without me certainly uh, to me sounds like, you know, not so much of that stuff, you know, and I think the stuff he does with me, we kind of challenge each other to get like come on man that's all we're gonna play that change again i mean what what are you talking about you know
0: (laughs) cool is he still is he still writing for that wrestling company i'd heard he was doing that he was writing like creative stories for wrestling is there any truth in that do you know
2: yeah i don't even know man i think uh, maybe i think uh we didn't talk about it we were talking about uh we were talking about all kinds of other crazy stuff obviously living in america there's tons to talk about besides music they you know thanks to our, our lovely uh, political establishment. But um, uh, but no, we didn't talk about the wrestling. I'm assuming he's still doing it. I think he really enjoys it.
0: Okay, Jimmy, we're going to jump to some Facebook and Twitter questions. When I announced that you were coming on, loads of uh, great reactions online. And we're going to get straight down to it. Uh, Gordon Thompson wants to know, what is the music scene like in Chicago? <laughs> is it any good to have grown up in as a musician? Uh, what's it like generally?
2: Ah, uh, No. Not really. I mean, uh, it's got an okay, I mean, it's got a great jazz scene. So I play, you know, with a jazz quartet and a jazz quintet here in town. And um, man, we have a great time, right? We go out, we burn the house down. It's so fun. Um, but from a rock standpoint, it's just, there's, I mean, music in general, I think, is just so become... It's become, like I said, too quantifiable, right? There's too many metrics attached to music to kind of qualify it for like success, right? And nobody, the problem is, is everybody's displacing uh, or or or, or um, transposing their own set of successful metrics to the outside world. And then nobody can be successful, right? So music has really taken a hit um, in Chicago just because... For whatever reason, I mean, people started playing music to, to be something besides a musician, right? They wanted to be like a music business guy or I want to have like a social media profile or I got to think about how many likes I'm getting on Facebook. I mean, for me, it was always just like a good music scene is just a bunch of guys that go out and play all the time, right? And then, you know, the other stuff comes later. Um, but now it seems like the other stuff has to come before there's even a scene or else nobody can kind of legitimize the scene. So in rock and roll, that is the case. In the jazz music world here in Chicago, man, guys are playing all the time. I hear so many great drummers and so many great musicians that are just knocking it out of the park. It's just there's, there's not as many vehicles uh, in which to kind of be a musician anymore, or at least a musician that kind of can support himself or herself.
0: Hope that answers your question, Gordon. We're going to move on. Elred McNeese, Power Elred, uh, wants to know. Um, first of all, he says that you are one of these earliest influences, and his question is: What snare drum did you use when recording Gish?
2: Oh yeah, so I only well I only used one snare on that record, and that, unfortunately it wasn't mine. Um, it was uh, it was Butch's uh, recording custom Yamaha uh, five and a half by fourteen steel shell, uh, which is a great drum, but. I mean, you know, obviously that sound has is, is been, uh, you know, I've received lots of checks from people sampling that drum sound. Um, it's a great, it really set the tone and set the stage for what, uh, for the expectation around recorded drums, um, at least, and really, you know, flew Butch up the flagpole as like the guy. Um, but that drum, I mean, a lot of that sound came from a, you know, the way I play, Um, B, the room was very small, very compressed. Um, When we recorded GISH, I think everything except for Snail was one take. So all that stuff, we just went in, we rehearsed the heck out of it and went in and just cut it. And uh, I think everything was one take, maybe two. Um, But it was just Billy and I in the same room tracking together, like literally as close as you and I are right now, as close as I am to the monitor. Just, like, right there, like, we got to get this super tight, right? And then we put all the other stuff on later. And that's really how we record all the time. Like, we record, like, him and I, we have to see each other. We've got to know, like, it's all live We to tape. We don't really use – we never use Pro Tools or click tracks or any of that stuff. We just kind of went for it. Um, and Gish, you know, kind of set the stage for that stuff.
0: So, yeah, what was it like working with Butch then?
2: Yeah, great, you know, because Butch is a drummer, so he's uh, – you know he's got a great ear for drum sound. Um, he's got his own opinions about drums, which some of them are good and some of them I don't agree with. But I'm, nevertheless, he's a great producer. Um, yeah, he's like you know he's like a family member. I mean, I mean you, you can't, you're in living in a cave with the guy for four months. I mean you can't really not get to know him, and you really don't have a choice as far as whether you're going to like him or not. I mean you're not neither one of you is going anywhere, so. You know, there's, a, uh, but yeah, Butch is great. I think um, he was super, uh, you know, exactly what the band needed at that time.
0: Right, moving swiftly on. The Ginger Baker film, have you seen it?
2: Oh, it's amazing, right?
0: It I was amazing, right? But you got to tell me, it was much better than I expected. What were your thoughts when you seen it?
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've always been a fan, but now I'm a much bigger fan. <laughs> I think, I mean, I have I mean, when, um, when Billy and I did Zeitgeist, um, we really listened to, we wanted to find um, some type of new music, right? We wanted to find like a whole new trip to get into. Um, something that wasn't rock and something that got, you know, that was really trancy, um, like in a Depeche Mode way, but really like more primitive, right? So we got way into like Fela and Femi Kuti, and Ginger and Tony Allen and that stuff. And we just, we listened to that stuff all day long when we were making Zeitgeist, because especially like United States and those types of songs, like I was looking for like, what's that? How can I write something that's super fucking compelling and super, uh, and super repetitive that's not going to get boring over like a 10 minute thing? So you would listen to these Phelos songs and it would be... And the drums would be playing, you know, four different things at the same time. And maybe it would go on for five minutes before the before the horns would come in or the keyboards would come in, but you'd never lose interest. So so I really threw myself uh, at that music and tried to figure out, like, what are those components, besides the fact that, obviously, Tony Allen's a fucking great drummer, uh, or, and those other guys are ridiculously talented, what is it about their choices that they're making um, that keeps things interesting? So that, and then through that, I got into the Ginger Baker, obviously, fayla stuff. And then subsequently, I think it was uh, one of the guy, one of my friends who works at like, uh, like Vice or, or somebody, He's he was somebody who's not a drummer. They were just like, have you seen this Ginger Baker movie? And I was like, no, nah, I haven't seen it. And then I watched it and it was just, I mean, when he leaves his kid in Italy, and he takes all the money. I mean, the, the, the drumming is like, okay, we all knew that was great, but just to hold the lessons, uh, in the beginning, and then when they talk to uh, when they talk to uh, Steve Winwood, and he says, you know, they had purposely driven outside of London to put Blind Faith together, and then here, like Ginger drives up, and he's like, "All right, I'm ready to play, man." And they're like, "Oh no!" I mean, that stuff is so amazing. And I I know I know some people that play with his son, uh, Steve uh, Chris Poland, who plays with Megadeth, uh, is a friend of mine. He plays with Ginger's son. A couple other guys: Reeves Gabrell, uh play with Bowie, so another friend of mine, plays with Ginger's son, but yeah, just a crazy, crazy old coot, man.
0: <laughs> I tell you what, his son's a brilliant drummer as well, just like his father.
2: Oh, yeah, they're great, man. Ginger's so good. I mean, I was listening to uh, just some Cream stuff the other day. I mean, you talk about, I mean, and that was that thing, like when you listen to Fela and you're like, what makes it so interesting? It's not just what they play, right? It's like how they play it, how those parts are suggested, and the framework that they create for themselves, right? So Ginger, like, his use of dynamics as a jazz drummer in a rock context, nobody was ever playing like that, right? I and mean, nobody, and you had Pace who was playing, you know, very demonstrative and and really could play like Buddy Rich in a, in a very kind of uh, con- convincing way, who has a huge fan of. Carl Palmer obviously played a lot of that kind of Buddy Rich big band type of sensibility stuff. But nobody, nobody really keyed in on and, and everybody like they had the chops, right? But nobody but like Baker keyed in on the dynamics of that stuff where he was actually removing stuff to make stuff more powerful or not hitting crash symbols um, when other guys would just lay on the crash, right? As you listen to Bonham, like you can, you can you can template where all the crashes are gonna be. But with Baker, like you're always fucking up trying to play his parts because they're so unconventional. You know, he's pulling stuff away in ways, like, when I heard that stuff, it was just like, when I, when I like, put pumpkin parts together, too, you're, I'm always thinking, like, what can I remove? Like, what's this process of removal, and is the foundation of what I'm playing still compelling, right? And with Baker, I mean, that stuff, man, it's so compelling, and it's not, and there's, like, at the end of, like, um, Sunshine of Your Love, like, where you just... He's just riding the crash cymbals in the bass drum. Like after removing that stuff for almost the whole song, then he just unleashes like a fury, a hell fury of it at the end. But it, what it does, it creates a dy- dynamic parameter that's so wide that the drums are like, they become like an orchestra unto themselves. So when I listen to that stuff, like when I listen to Elvin Jones play or Tony Williams or Blakey or any of those guys, like they have that mastery of dynamics. So when you hear like Elvin play with McCoy Tyner, He's just as powerful playing with a piano trio because he understands baseline dynamics as he is playing with Coltrane in a powerful sax quartet, right? So even though the volumes are totally different, the dynamics attached to those two presentations of music are very similar.
0: Great stuff. And lastly, Jimmy, who would you like to collaborate with that you've not had the opportunity to do so yet? Is there anything that springs to mind?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody. I mean, I I don't care. I'll... I don't really have like you know Brad Meldow. I mean I love Brad Meldow a lot. I mean I think uh, you know uh, Brian Ferry. I mean David Bowie. I mean I you know I mean anybody. I'm not I don't have like a dream like oh you know if it was anybody it'd probably be Duke Ellington or you know somebody like that if I could bring somebody back or Thelonious Monk you know somebody like that. But, you know, really, I've I've gotten so much out of just the kind of weirdest combinations of music um, that I don't really go, I don't try to, like, construct my own future. I just kind of let it happen.
0: Jimmy, absolute pleasure chatting to you today, talking about drums, talking about the pumpkins, talking about everything, music, particularly with Ginger Baker as well. So glad that you've seen that film and you're the biggest fan as I am. Absolute blast having a chat with you. And thanks so much for joining me.
2: You got it, man. Thanks so much.
0: Jimmy Chamberlain on the podcast, can you believe it? Brilliant interview, great guy, very, very smart, very, very, very clever um, and the way that he thinks about things and the way that he articulates his different opinions. Um, very commendable indeed. Uh, what's not credible or commendable is um, not and nice I's lack of professionalism. A lot of outtakes in the podcast this week. Enjoy. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talk Music podcast where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie.
1: I'm Nora Germain.
0: I'm a comedy singer-songwriter who once was a drummer.
1: I'm an ex-musical theatre junkie who's now a violinist.
0: And apparently, what are we, Nora.
1: We are podcasters.
0: And you're going to hear us chat to many different people, People, but more. I'm fucking so inarticulate it's not even true. And we're going to start again. <clears throat> not as laughing so much as going silent. We're going to keep this one in for the outtakes. This is the outtakes to you out here. Nora's fallen off her chair, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Nora, what part of that tickled you the most? There, this is this has tickled you more so than in many things. Nora, <laughs> you okay? <sighs>
2: okay.
0: Okay. There's a little outtake for you, everybody. Now back to the interview. Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kelly. I'm a drummer, oh uh, what? fuck's sake. Ah. <laughs> oh. That's usually what I do, and I'll mess that one up again. I don't know why on earth. Yes, everyone, I'm, 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 yes, I'm thinking the exact same <laughs> thing as you are. How the fuck is this thing a success? <laughs> How on earth do we get good guests on when we can't even get past two lines of a fucking <laughs> intro that we say every fucking week? And we have said for 90 fucking weeks the same <clears throat> shit. With the same fucking music.
1: Ugh.
0: Oh, okay. Take 20. Fuck. Let's. Eight.
1: <laughs> 20 is pretty low for you.
0: Yeah, fuck off. Okay, we are back on the Top Music Podcast. Brilliant interview with Jimmy Chamberlain. Nora, please say the line that you just said to me off <laughs> I
1: said, um. Go for you it. know, Scott, if I didn't have tits. There's no way I'd make any money. <laughs> Fuck.
0: There's never been a truer word said, ladies and gentlemen.
1: I'm just, you know, I'm just putting it out there. You know. What makes you say that? Well, we all have our doubts, don't we?
0: <clears throat> well, there's nobody more that doubts herself than me. I don't have any confidence in myself.
1: Exactly. So why don't we just all come out and say the funny things we think about ourselves? You know, why not? Because if you don't have any confidence, there's not, you can't fall very much. So you might as well just come out with it. You well, know,
0: This is the thing. I've got some seriously low expectations of my life. So anything, There you go. So anything that does happen, it's like when you first met me, do you remember when you first met me?
1: Yes, I had just come off of a red eye flight from texas or um someplace i was so tired i hadn't slept at all i don't think i had even showered i no you definitely didn't i came to meet you in la straight from the airport i had my suitcase i had my violin i it was um was that the time that we had whiskey in the studio or that was another time
0: that was about two or three days later because we did an interview that's never seen the light of day by the way remember oh really Oh, we did a podcast interview and we filmed it and we've never used it.
1: Oh, well, there you go. So, yes, I do remember it. Um, And then we had a jam on the porch.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's on YouTube for us all to see. And if you watch that YouTube clip, it's obvious that we had a little bit of banner and we had a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of uh, naturalistic conversationalist and it's became the heart of this podcast. <laughs> Right. So
1: Yeah, no, I think it's amazing the way these things can just happen.
0: But the thing is, see about two or three nights later, uh, we were at uh Robin and Kev's place, okay? And you ended up recording it. we're just having a genuine conversation just now. This isn't part of the show, everybody, just this private conversation. We um you played violin in my my tracks. Do you remember? Yeah, oh
1: yeah, yeah. Of course I remember, right. yeah.
0: Um and then you had whiskey and it sitting in the piano and that picture still on the night, are you drinking whiskey at the piano and getting pissed?
1: <laughs> yeah. Two of my favorite things, whiskey and piano.
0: Yep. And um, but you didn't do the gig with me that year. That was the last time us. that was the only time i seen you, right? Well, there the were two occasions I've seen you in America. And the next time was just there in America in the summer. And then we did the gig together. We finally got a chance to perform on stage together. And we've, yeah. right. And of course it was my gig. There's twenty-five thousand people all chanting Kowie, Kowie, Kowie. And then I brought you on. But when I first met you to go back to it, uh you all you had was a suitcase and a violin. You were like a lost little puppy. You had lots of talent musically, but you just didn't have someone to guide you and mentor you and take you on to the next level. <laughs> And I fulfilled that role. You became my prodigal son. And I decided that I was going to guide you and help you swim through this shark-infested shark tank. And you have came through this unscathed, my child. You have came through this unscathed.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: So there you go. So, one year later, or a year and a bit later, the book's coming out. What the hell's happening with this book? And what the hell's happening with, well, I'm going to ask you about some other stuff that you're going to be releasing in a little bit. I don't know if I can say this on air, right? But what's happening with the book? Is there a latest? Is there a potential release date? What can you tell us, if anything? Because we all want to know.
1: About the book.
0: We. Oui. Do you know what that means? You and me. No, We. Oui. It's Spanish for for yes.
1: Oh, okay. Well, this book is coming along. Um I am really excited about it. Um It's um it's going to be kind of funny and uh you're in it, Scott, of course. And many of the people that you've had on the podcast are mentioned in it.
0: Did you mentioned Katie tons, though?
1: I didn't mention her. No.
0: Why the hell not? She's cool.
1: I should mention her. Maybe I'll stick her in um at the end or somewhere. But um.
0: It's a Sandy yeah, Tom in I'm it. Really... What? A Sandy Tom in it.
1: Um. Yes, she is. Briefly, yes.
0: What Would you say about her?
1: Um. Well, I said that I played at her wedding, which is true.
0: Did you mention Callum? Um, I
1: possibly yes. What about Tanya? Possibly yes.
0: What about Tommy Emmanuel?
1: Yes, I mentioned him.
0: Martin
1: Taylor.
0: <laughs> yep. Martin Taylor's son. Yep. Uh, Katie Tunstall.
1: No, not yet. Sandy Tom. Yep. Martin Taylor. Okay, so anyway, the book is going to be really great and i I've never done anything like this before. It's like half autobiography and then half Fiction. funny jokes and half and then the other half if you can have three halves, I guess it's uh, inspiration for everybody um, and I hope that people that read it feel um, feel good and get a good laugh out of some of the things right. I've been through. So there you go
0: I'm gonna go out in a limb. I'm gonna go in a limb here yeah. I've heard so much about this book. I want next week on the podcast. I'm recording this. This is live. I want you to say this right now. I want you to give me an answer. Okay. I'm putting you in the spot here. I want you to read out a couple of quotes from the book on the podcast next week. While you do that. That's not asking much. Come on. Okay. Right. Awesome. as your main. Now, I want a couple of funny things. And I want, uh, uh, yeah. Just You pick what you want to pick. Because next week, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. It's sitting world exclusive. And I said it to Nora live. She didn't know I was going to say it. I put in the request and she answered. And that answer was we, which is Spanish. for yes, so she's going to read a couple of quotes from her book on the podcast next week. It's very exciting. Tune in. Not only is must listen, it's can't miss. ScottCowey.com, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, iTunes, Rate, review subscribe tell a friend tell an enemy NoraJermaine.com forward slash biography if you want to read more about nora NoraJermaine.com forward slash gallery if you want to see some pics your i i
1: don't have a gallery
0: norasermaine.com forward slash happy sunshiny
1: days oh my
0: <laughs> that being said Nora, any final
1: words uh,
0: may the force be with you all. Nora Germain, thank you very much. Big thank you to Jimmy Chamberlain. Big thank you to all you musical theatre fans that have stuck with us and now crying your eyes out because we all know that we hate it. And we will see you guys
1: next week. Yay!